Well, turn in your Bibles to Acts 11, verse 26. Actually, uh, the text for our sermon this morning is half a verse. Half of verse 26. The second half of verse 26, to be precise. And so what we have here is, I'll read the whole verse so you get the, the flow of it. And when he, that is Barnabas, had found him, that is Paul, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now here's the half verse that I'll be preaching with you today. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. We're going to spend a few minutes this morning doing a bit of a study on the term Christians. It's a term that we've heard many, many years probably. It's a term that we label for ourselves in this local assembly. We call ourselves Christians. What is involved with this? What was involved when the persons of Antioch called the believers in Antioch Christians? What is involved Today, when we call ourselves Christians, or someone that perhaps isn't a Christian who knows that you are will say, well, you're a Christian. That's the kind of thing we want to to look at. And so, in the first place, I want you to see from the half verse that I've read that it was actual Christ-following disciples, that means learners, of Christ who were first called Christians in a place called Antioch. Again, verse 26b. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. All these centuries later, the definition of the term Christians has gotten rather fuzzy. The Nazis claimed to be Christians. The members of certain cults, some people call them Christians, Persons who reject the Bible as being God's word sometimes claim to be Christians. Nations which ban Christ are called Christian. Nations which legalize sin are called Christian. Celebrities who wear crosses as jewelry are called Christian. Persons who follow false Christs are called Christians. The term Christians has gotten entirely fuzzy from the first use of it in Antioch. The first use of the term in Antioch was that those who are called Christians were disciples and learners of Christ. Those who followed Jesus. Those who stood with Jesus. But now it's fuzzy. Verse 26b again, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know, it's interesting, these terms, Christian in the singular or Christians in the plural, that these terms are only mentioned three times in the New Testament. Here in Acts 11.26b is one mentioning, and then in Acts 26.28 
than Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. That's the second occurrence of the term in the New Testament. And the third and last occurrence of the term Christian or Christians in the whole of the New Testament is in 1 Peter 4, verse 14, which says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. This verse I have just read, 1 Peter 4, 16, is the only occurrence in the New Testament where a Christian writing scripture calls other Christians a Christian. It's the only occurrence in all of the New Testament. Because most often, Christians didn't call themselves Christians. Instead, most often, Christians refer to themselves in Jesus' time after his ascension as believers or disciples or saints or brethren or those of the way, capital W. The believers that we read about in the New Testament didn't call each other Christians, except for 1 Peter 4.16, the only place. No, they called themselves believers. We're believers, or we're disciples of Christ, or we're saints set apart for God's possession and use in Christ, or we're brethren, brothers and sisters in the Lord, or we're members of the way, the way that Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. By the way, if you heard those baptismal testimonies of how these young people trusted Jesus to be their, your, their Savior, make sure you've been trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation from sin. Because coming to this church or any other church no more makes you a Christian than going to a garage makes you a mechanic. I go on. The fact that Acts 11.26b reports that disciples were first called Christians points to the fact that the believers did not pick that name for themselves. They were called that. Others called them that. They didn't claim to be Christians as we use the term. They were Christians, but they didn't call themselves Christians. Unbelieving Jews, on the other hand, they called believers in Christ Nazarenes. Do you know why? Because it was a term of contempt. Acts 24, 5. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension, referencing Paul by unbelieving Jews. We have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So the unbelieving Jews of the day called the followers of Christ Nazarenes. Why? Because they hated them. And in John 1, verse 46, we get a window into their thinking. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see, referring to Christ, who lived in Nazareth 30 years before he went public in his ministry. You see, people believed in the Jewish circle that nothing good comes out of Nazarene, out of Nazareth, excuse me. The Nazarenes were no good for nothing. And so when the unbelieving Jews called the believers at Antioch Nazarenes, it wasn't because they thought it was a good term. They were putting them down. They were having contempt and hatred for them. Isn't that interesting? The unbelieving Jews used the term Christians because they disliked, hated, 
the followers of Christ. Unbelieving Gentiles, on the other hand, called believers in Antioch Christians, but to them it was a label of ridicule and mockery. So when the Gentiles in Antioch called the believers Christians for the first time, it wasn't because they applauded them. It wasn't because they were in favor of them or agreed to them. Rather, the contrary. They called them Christians, to put it bluntly, as a term of ridicule and mockery. It's interesting. So we are noting together in this half verse that the first Christians didn't pick the name for themselves. And those who picked the name for them, be they Jews or Gentiles who didn't believe in Jesus, they, it was a term of contempt and hatred. Now, the term Christian itself has a great dictionary meaning, a meaning that we would agree with. The name Christian has that good dictionary meaning of partisans, that is, strong supporters of Jesus Christ. That's what the term means. That's a good definition. Or Christian's dictionary meaning is that followers of Christ. That's a good, accurate, and a favorable meaning. Or Christians are Christ's men or Christ's women. Again, that's good. But the people who coined the term, the people who first used the term, hated those that they gave that name to. They mocked them. And so it's interesting that the unbelievers in Gentile Antioch misunderstood the meaning of the term Christians, although they invented it. They morphed their label of the followers of the way with the label that they came to see as being some kind of a political revolutionary party, a political party. And of course, they weren't the alone in doing that. Through history, we've seen in the United States and other countries in Europe that sometimes Christian becomes a political party. But that was never the intent. Christians are disciples or learners of Christ. Christians are committed followers of Christ. Christians are those who bank their time and their eternity on Christ by faith, not a political party. So let's put this all together. Who were Christians? They were disciples, learners. They were Jesus' followers. They were believers in Christ. They were saints, those set apart for God's possession and use from a world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. They were brethren, brothers and sisters, spiritually. They were those of the way. I am the way, Jesus said. They were those of the way. They were strong supporters of Jesus Christ to death. And they were Christ's men or Christ's women. That's who they were. And that's still who Christians are. That's who you are if you call yourself a Christian. Now, we who call ourselves Christians, we may be ridiculed, we may be mocked, we may be seen as misfits who follow a misfit, we may be held in contempt, we may be mistakenly reduced to being some fringe political party, but... But we actually and cheerfully are owned by the Savior. Amen? 
He has bought us with what? His precious blood. We're owned by Jesus Christ. No matter who ridicules us or mocks us or sees us as misfits or holds us in contempt or mistakenly reduces us to being some fringe political party, we are owned by Christ. He purchased us with his blood. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, for referring to believers in Corinth, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit are God's because you've been purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin, set free to do the bidding of God as found in his word, never to have to return to the slave marketplace of sin ever again. Amen? And so in being purchased out of love and a great sacrifice of the blood of Christ, being purchased out of, out of the slave marketplace of sin, we are distinct. At least we should be. We are distinct from persons who don't know Christ as Savior by faith. We are to be characterized by noticeable devotion to Christ. My highest devotion is to Christ. I have devotion to my wife, Beth. Love her with all my heart. I die for her. But my highest devotion is to Christ. Beth loves me with all her heart. But her highest devotion is to Christ. When I was looking, if God wanted me to marry, when I was looking to see who the Lord might have me to marry, I wanted to find a woman whose highest devotion was to Jesus Christ. And God led me to Beth. Our highest devotion should be to Christ. That's one of the things that makes us distinct And when our highest devotion is to Christ as Christians, we love Christ, we trust Christ, we pray to Christ, we learn Christ, we share Christ, we support Christ, we represent Christ, we side with Christ, we obey Christ, we look to Christ, we honor Christ, we worship Christ, we glorify Christ. And, and, we live and die to Christ. We're distinct. And we carry the name Christian wherever we go. We stamp the name Christian on everything we do. We advertise the name Christian with our every conversation and with our every social media post. Did you hear that? You on social media. That you advertise the name Christian with your every conversation and your every social media post. So do I. Now, let me give you the context of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8. Let me give you the context. The context of 1 Corinthians 14, 8 is this. The need for tongues to be interpreted in the first century church so that they would be useful to those who are gathered in the first century expressions of the church. That's the context of 1 Corinthians 14, 8. Tongues that they'd be interpreted every time they were spoken so that they would be useful for those who hear those tongues in those assemblies. First century thing. But it seems to me 
<laughs> that this verse of 1 Corinthians 14.8 has secondary application to the issue of our testimonies for Christ. Our testimonies for Jesus Christ, our God stories, need to differentiate us from others who don't know Christ as Savior. Ever had somebody say, you, you pray about everything? Yeah, I do. You think about Christ all the time? Yeah, I do. Guilty as charged. Our testimonies, our lifestyles, our speech, our conversation, our thought process should make us distinct like a trumpet blast from each of our redeemed lives. A trumpet blast that tells those who hear it, that see our testimony, that our redeemed lives call those who hear it the trumpet blast of our testimony to take a side with Christ. The default to that is taking a side with Satan. So what does 1 Corinthians 14, 8 say? It says this. Remember, the tongues was the first context. I acknowledge that. But a secondary application, I believe, is to our testimony as Christians. Listen. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? The way that armies were summoned to fight in battle was a trumpet call. And every enlisted soldier, when they heard a clarion and clear, loud trumpet call, they knew it was time to battle the opponent, the enemy. And what I'm suggesting is that when we take on the name Christian, and other people call us Christians, and we call ourselves Christians, that our testimony should be a clear and clarion trumpet call that says, I'm with Christ. <laughs> I belong to Christ. Everything I judge that I'll say depends on Christ. Everything I judge that I won't say depends on Christ. Everything I spend money on depends on Christ. Everything I refuse to spend money on depends on Christ. Every thought I have depends on Christ. Every thought I have, don't have, or won't let myself have depends on Christ. Everything I say depends on Christ. Everything I refuse to say depends on Christ. Distinct trumpet call. I've told you before about the missionary Jim Elliott who wrote something along these lines. I don't think I have the quote exactly right, but something along these lines. As a prayer in his journal before he was speared to death by the Alka Indians in the jungles of South America as a young married man in his 30s. He wrote this prayer in his journal. Father, make me a crisis man a fork in the road so that everyone who meets me will be called to make a decision about Christ. Wouldn't that be something? That every person that meets you in business, every person that meets you socially, every person who meets you transactionally, every person who meets you is compelled and forced to make a decision about Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be something? We'd have to open our mouths about Christ for that to happen. It is significant that the believers in the ancient church at Antioch were called Christians by those who did not side with Christ, by those who did not see themselves as a part of the church there, by those who mocked and ridiculed Christ and those who loved him. Isn't it interesting? 
the Christians in Antioch, their trumpet sound was that clear. The Christians in Antioch, their Monday to Saturday living was that distinct. The Christians in Antioch, their reputation in the community and the city was that consistent. M.R. Vincent, who writes a commentary that's based on the original language of the New Testament Greek, M.R. Vincent suggests that the Greek verb, which is translated here, were called, they were called Christians, had a range of meaning. It had the range of meaning that was to transact business. That was to have dealings with someone. That was to hear out another person. Please listen carefully. What I'm about to point out to you is important. The mocking and unbelieving Gentiles in Antioch didn't like Christians, but they called Jesus' people Christians because it was obvious to them that those believers transacted business as Jesus Christ would. Those believers dealt with others about every matter as Jesus Christ would. Those believers listened to others in every conversation as Jesus Christ would. I want that to be said of me. I want that to be said of me. I want Christ-likeness to be my photo ID. Maybe every time you're asked to show photo ID, it will remind you that you are to have a clear trumpet call testimony as a Christian. I want Christ-likeness not only to be my photo ID, I want it to be my business card. When I start a conversation with someone I don't know or when I conclude a conversation with someone I don't know, what I leave with them, my business card, I want it to be that I'm Christ-like. I want Christ-likeness to be my people skills. <laughs> I want my Christ-likeness to be how I deal with people, how I respect them, how I want the best for them, how I believe in them, how I help them, how I, with brotherly love, love them. I want Christ-likeness to be my people skills that when I talk to someone, they know I'm truly listening I'm not thinking about what I'll say next. I'm listening, looking in their eyes, caring, unhurried, Christ-like, hearing them out. In fact, I want to be known as a partisan of Christ. I want to be known as a strong supporter of Christ. By the way, one of the ways you show yourself to be a strong supporter of Christ is to be a strong supporter of this assembly of which he is the head. I want to, have, I want to be a partisan of Christ, a strong supporter of Christ, a follower of Christ. I want to be known as Christ's man. See that guy there? He's Christ's man. I want that. I've told you before, I think, about a missionary who went to live with a primitive tribe which had no written language. He lived with the primitive tribe with the plan of reducing their language 
to writing because they had no writing in their language. It was just a verbal language. And he went to live with the tribe to acquire their language, but then to find a way to write their language so he ultimately could translate the Bible into their written language. What a great and noble task. He lived with them for many years, made great progress on codifying their language, but then he died. They buried him in their burial ground as a primitive tribe. And in due time, another missionary came to pick up the work where the first missionary had left off. And this second missionary started teaching about Jesus Christ. How loving he was. How patient he was. How helpful he was. How good of character he was. And then the second missionary said to the primitive tribesmen, and he lived many, many years ago. And the chief of the tribe said, no, he didn't. We know him. We buried him. first missionary's testimony and his trumpet call was so distinct with those primitive tribesmen that they thought he was Jesus Christ. When the second missionary advanced in the work of codifying their language and writing translation of the Bible into their language so they could read the Bible, the first word that the chief wrote in the new language that was codified was Christian. And the first place that the first word in their new codified language was written was on the first missionary's gravestone. If people call you Christian, live like it. If you call yourself a Christian, live like it. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, a man named Dr. David Otis Fuller first asked the question, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? In ancient Antioch, there was enough evidence. May there be enough evidence in our individual Christian lives. Father, there may be some persons here who are not called Christians because they actually are not yet Christians. But they could become Christians as they recognize their sin problem separating them from God, Jesus Christ's love to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to wash them clean of sin, and that he rose from the dead, the grave could not hold him. Lord, may those who may be in the sound of my voice who are not yet Christians, may they step across the line of unbelief in Christ to belief in Christ and be born again. Father, there are others of us here today probably the majority of us who are Christians. But we need to more often live like we are. 
by the Holy Spirit's working in us. May we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, learn of him because we are his disciples, follow him because he's our Lord, trust him because he's our all, be set apart from the godless culture because we are being sanctified to be more and more like him. May we show his ownership of us in every situation. May we be distinct tourists on earth because our true citizenship is in heaven. May we sound very clear trumpet calls inviting those who know us to become Christians that they would be called to become Christians. May we have the Holy Spirit's help to have Christ-likeness as our photo IDs and our business cards and our people skills. This is our prayer offered in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. In God's church of Christians said, Amen. Amen. Amen.